Warning, today's episode contains spoilers. So if you have not seen the movie or TV show that we are talking about, we highly recommend that you watch it first, then listen to this episode. Thank you. Then Is Now podcast. In this series of special Then Is Now episodes, 13 Days of Hallowtober, we're exploring what are widely regarded as the scariest movies of all time. Joining me today is Chris Esper, a filmmaker based out of Attleboro, Massachusetts. His short films include Imposter, Yesteryear, Bent, The Deja Vuers, and Undatement Center. He currently owns and operates a production company, Stories in Motion, where he continues to create a variety of projects. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hey, Roger. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Glad to have you. So today we're going to discuss the movie Psycho from 1960. Here we have a quiet little motel, when in fact it has now become known as the scene of the crime. Can you have a vacancy? Oh, we have 12 vacancies. You know, this is the first place that looks like it's hiding from the world. I think that we're all in our private traps, clamped in them. And none of us can ever get out. Is anyone at home? Oh, that, uh, that must be my mother. She's run away. Put me down. Mother, oh God, mother. What are you running away from? She looked like a wrong one to you. It's not as if she were a, a maniac. She just goes a little mad sometimes. I'll just jump into a brief plot synopsis here. Mm -hmm. During a lunchtime tryst in a Phoenix, Arizona hotel, real estate secretary Marion Crane and her boyfriend, Sam Loomis, discuss how they cannot afford to get married because of Sam's debts. After lunch, Marion returns to work when a client leaves a $40,000 cash payment on a property. Marion's boss asks her to deposit the money in the bank and allows her to leave early after complaining of a headache. Once home, she decides to steal the money and drive to Sam's home in Fairvale, California. En route to Fairvale, Marion stops her car on the side of the road and falls asleep. 
She's awakened the next morning by a California Highway Patrol officer. She is nervous, and the officer decides to follow her. Marion stops at a Bakersfield automobile dealership and trades in her car, which has Arizona license plates, for a new vehicle with California plates. The officer watches her suspiciously as she drives away. During a rainstorm, Marion stops for the night at the Bates Motel and hides the stolen money inside a newspaper. The proprietor, Norman Bates, invites her for dinner after check-in. She accepts his invitation, but overhears an argument between Norman and his mother about bringing a woman into their gothic home, which sits perched above the motel. Instead, they eat in the motel parlor, where he tells her about his life with his mother, who is mentally ill and forbids him to have a life apart from her. Moved by Norman's story, Marion decides to drive back to Phoenix in the morning to return the stolen money. While in the shower, a shadowy figure stabs her to death. After seeing blood, Norman panics and runs to Marion's room where he discovers her body. He cleans up the crime scene, putting Marion's corpse, including, unbeknownst to him, the stolen money, into the trunk of her car and sinking it in the swamps near the motel. Marion's sister Lila arrives to find out what happened to her. She is joined by private investigator Milton Arbogast and Marion's boyfriend Sam Loomis, and they must uncover the mystery of what happened to Marion and the secrets of the Bates Motel. So, uh, Chris, when was the first time you saw Psycho, and what was your initial impression of the film? Well, uh, I first saw Psycho in full uh, in my in my uh, late teens, I want to say. I was uh, in film school um, studying uh, that sort of thing, and um, uh, of course, you know, for anyone who studies film, you become quite a movie buff. Uh, so, of course, I was on this huge Hitchcock uh, binge, and... Uh, Psycho was uh, probably the first of his I actually watched, and uh, first impression was that I loved it, uh, but then as I was watching it, and it got to the, of course, the uh, famous shower scene, I looked at it and I said, wait a minute, I've seen this before. I remember, I have a vague memory as a very young kid, walking into the living room, seeing both my mother and father watching Psycho on television, I remember seeing the image of janet lee being stabbed in the shower and she's screaming her head off and i'm a kid and i'm like i'm like what the hell is going it's like, it, it it was bizarre and then you know flash flash forward uh you know 10 15 years later whatever it was um and i'm watching this movie i'm like i'm like wait a minute this is the movie and so um i i can't say i think because i was familiar with the lore of psycho and you know and its fame didn't necessarily scare me, but I was very much entranced by it. And in particular, I was studying the filmmaking very closely. And uh, nowadays, I can't watch it without studying it frame by frame because it's just, it's packed with just like wonderful uh, bits of, um, of filmmaking. You know, it's a film to be studied. Right, right. It, it really is amazing. It's an amazing piece of work here. Alfred Hitchcock, you know, outdoes himself in this one. It's widely regarded, I think, as his one of his best films. Yes. Now, I don't have a specific memory of the first time I saw it. I do recall as a kid it was probably on one of the networks as like a movie of the week kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was always talked about in my house. Uh, it was very famous because my parents were into horror movies and they always took me to horror movies in fact my first horror movie i, re- I remember vividly at age 2 being in the back seat at the drive-in and seeing asylum the uh, anthology film with peter cushing oh no wow yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that that stuck with us and i i think i've said this before in the show too we my mother and i couldn't remember the name of the film but we we always called it chopping heads after that <laughs> until i grew older and figured out what the film was right 
yeah, Psycho was one that we always talked about in the house. That was one of those, you know, amazing films. Now, it's directed by Alfred Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. And he is um, a, an amazing director. Some of his famous and amazing movies are Vertigo, North by Northwest, which is one of my favorites, mm-hmm. The Birds, Marnie, and Frenzy, just to name a few. Right. And uh, obviously you're a Hitchcock fan there, Chris. Yes, very much so. And this film was written by um, Joseph Stefano, and it's based on the book by horror novelist Robert Block. Now, Stefano's written for both the original and the 1997 versions of The Outer Limits, as well as an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, the TV movie Psycho for the Beginning, and the 1990 Swamp Thing TV series. So he's done a lot. Yeah. And uh, have you read uh, the book at all? No, I actually have not read the book. That's uh, one thing I kick myself for is uh, that I still have yet to read the book that, that this is based on. Um, same with Jaws. I haven't read the book for Jaws either, and that's another one I need to actually, you know, get onto and read. But um, I've seen all the Psycho movies, you know, and I've uh, seen all the Hitchcock films that um, um, uh, that you mentioned. But, uh, yeah, the book is something I still have to uh, get to. Um, have you read the book? I have not. Uh, okay. Same here with that and Jaws. They're on my list. I just haven't had time to read. Right. So let's go into the cast here for a little bit. Sure. We've got Janet Lee as Marion Crane. Now, she's been in quite a few movies and TV shows, including The Manchurian Candidate, Night of the Lepus, about the killer bunnies, as well as The Man from Uncle, The Virginian, Love Boat, Fantasy Island. And she's famously known as the mother of Scream Queen, Jamie Lee Curtis. Right. In fact, she even acted with her daughter in Halloween H2O 20 years later as the character Norma. And I think Janet Lee brings a great gravitas to this role. Yes, she does. Absolutely. She. Um, one of the things that shocked me when I first uh, saw it, and this has really nothing to do with her acting, but more so her use in the film. Uh, I, I can't recall a time before seeing Psycho where I saw, who is arguably the main character, uh, killed 30 minutes within, to, uh, within the film. And, uh, right. <laughs> but, yet, but yet she still remains the main character because her presence through the rest of it is, is very much felt because it is about her death, uh, ultimately. But, um, yeah, I recall seeing it and, um, it's funny um, that uh, when I found out years later that she was indeed Jamie Lee Curtis's mom, I remember watching her thing, and she reminds me of Jamie Lee Curtis, and I can't figure out why. And then I get, then I see that piece, of, <laughs> I see that piece of trivia. I'm like, okay, that explains a lot. Then, so <laughs> it was uh, very interesting to, uh, to to find out that piece of trivia. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome, and it's funny, and t- of course, Tony Curtis, the famous actor, yes. Jamie Lee Curtis's yeah. father. So yeah. that's where she gets the Lee and the Curtis from. Let's see, and uh, we've got uh, Vera Miles as Lila Crane. She was in tons of TV shows from The Twilight Zone to Hawaii Five-0, and she reprises her role as Lila in the film Psycho 2. Now, getting on to the main star of this film, Anthony Perkins. I mean, what can be said about this guy? He's, he, You know, when you first meet the character of Norman Bates, it's he seems kind of nice. He doesn't seem too, you know, too odd. And then the more he talks to... Uh, the characters, especially Marion, the more you start to realize something's not right with this guy. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's funny, too. If you notice through the film, he's he's doing this thing where he's constantly, like, nibbling on snacks. And he does it in such a way that, like, all right, he, he shows her 
the parlor where they have their dinner and he's got all these birds taxidermied and he goes on and on about how he prefers to taxidermy birds because for some reason he likes how they look but he he would be too squeamish to do like a dog or a cat or a you know any other kind of animal yes and when he i remember as a kid when i watched this and he's eating it he reminded me of a bird as well oh yes <laughs> yeah yeah a lot of his behaviors um they came off very animalistic, I found, like, you know, really from the bird, from like, you know, that sort of bird-like way that he nibbles on his food to uh, his puppy dog eyes, the way he looks at her. I mean, it's, uh, there's something endearing about him, even though you look at him and you go, okay, something's not really right with this guy, and I can't really figure out what it is, uh, but, uh, you know, it would have been something different if he had played it right out the gate as a creepy guy. Then it would have been, you know, it just would have thrown the whole thing off. I mean, I think about the remake to this movie from nineteen ninety right. from nineteen ninety eight with with Vince Vaughn as Norman Bates. I didn't like his interpretation of it because he came off creepy right from the bat. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, no, I'm like, no. The whole point of of Norman Bates is that he doesn't come off as creepy from the beginning. He builds to that, <laughs> but so right. And he was also in the um, the sequels. Uh, he was actually in parts two, three, and yes. the beginning of part four. Mm-hmm. He also directed. And he also directed part three. That's right. Yeah. Yep. And I thought that was a pretty solid, scary film. You know. I thought so too. Yeah. In particular, Psycho Two. I I always found to be a very underrated uh, sequel. And I believe the director of it, Richard. I think it's Richard Franklin. I want to say he had um, he had done a movie with Jamie Lee Curtis um, before he had directed. Psycho 2, um, I, the name of it escapes me, but uh, so it's interesting how the lineage of all this coming full circle, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis being Janet Lee's daughter, and then here he is directing her in a movie, and he goes on to, to do Psycho 2. You know, it just seemed serendipitous that it would, ha- that it would happen that way. Right, right. And, um, you know, uh, Anthony Perkins has about 67 credits to his name. The one I, the other one I remember him from besides Psycho, and I think... Going into this, I kind of, I mean, I was probably nine when I saw this movie and when it came out, and I kind of, at least I recognize his face, so I must have seen Psycho, or at least seen, I don't know, maybe in Fangoria magazine or or Famous Monsters or something, but he was in The Black Hole, which was that Disney science fiction epic that really kind of- I did not know that. Wow. He plays Dr. Alex Durant. In fact, I just saw that recently on Disney Plus, and I was shocked. I forgot that he was in it. <laughs> yeah, that movie I have I've not seen. I'm certainly very familiar with it, but uh, yeah, I didn't know that. That's really interesting. Yeah. So, and uh, again, his performance here is just it's it's um it's subtle. It's yes. like you said, he doesn't come across as creepy right off the bat. In fact, I think he doesn't even realize that he's creepy. I mean, he, no. he definitely has um he has issues social issues could because he doesn't interact with people he stays there all the time and his even even says you know a mother is a boy's best friend right and he has no friends he he doesn't interact with people right and and of course as we know the mother is all in his mind (laughs) so yes (laughs) uh yeah I, i remember i remember that reveal being like a total being like a total it was like a total what the fuck moment when i first watched it right. i'm like like wait a minute <laughs> yeah yeah i do remember as a kid when i when i actually sat down to watch it with with um a little bit more knowledge of movies and stuff and i hadn't i did not know that and when they the whole scene where uh vera miles turns the chair around and 
Norman Bates' mother is actually a corpse. Yes. That shocked me. I, re- I remember being startled by that and going, oh, crap. That sh- <laughs> yes, that shocked me as well. And then he comes in dressed in drag as his mom. I'm like, I'm like oh, my God. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah. that, 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 uh, it, it was one of those moments where so much was happening so quickly, but yet you were forced as a viewer to take that in for a moment before you got the explanation at the end of the movie, which that has its own... Not controversy, but there is a lot of flip-flopping back and forth if that works or doesn't work, but that's a whole other thing. Yeah, and it's one of those things, too, where um, I think this movie, so much of it is iconic, and so many of the shots and scenes are iconic, that it's gotten into the pop culture so that when a younger person goes to watch this film, they may already know too much about it going in. Oh, yeah. And a lot of the surprises are lost. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could even... I think even when I first saw it... um, I, a lot of it I kind of already knew because it had been parodied and referenced numerous times and without and without really seeing it, like, you knew what it was from because it was just sort of that pop culture thing. I mean, you know, if you think of it, the, t- the time that it came out, there wasn't a movie like this. It's technically the first slasher picture that was ever released. Um, you know, it's the first... Right. It's the first movie to ever have a toilet uh, um, um, in shot. That That's a, a weird fact for some reason, but uh, for some reason... Movies uh, movies did not show toilets because it was considered uh, taboo or for some reason. Very strange. But, yeah, th- right. this movie broke so many grounds um, 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 at the time of its release that, you know, of course, of course, if you're not a horror fan, of course, everybody knows what Psycho is. Right, exactly. And it's funny because at the beginning, um, she's with her boyfriend, John Gavin, and you think that maybe they're both married and they're having a secret affair. Yes. And going going in with like a 21st century mindset, that's what, you know, the first impression is at least and that, that's what I was thinking actually when I watched rewatched it last night cuz I hadn't seen it for a while. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, John Gavin plays the boyfriend Sam Loomis, which is kind of funny because that's the name of Donald Pleasance's character in Car- John Carpenter's 1978 film Halloween, so right. it's obviously an homage to Psycho. Yes. And I finally realized as I'm watching it because he's talking about his divorced wife, like his ex-wife. Yeah. And then she says, I've never been married. And then I realized, oh, back in 1960, people who weren't married weren't supposed to be having sex. So they would, these two would have to sneak to a hotel right. to do it. Yeah. yeah and then you kind of yeah. pull that out of their conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's something that uh, I didn't pick up on either until years later and you know you and uh but that's that's a very good point because you know you think about the time as well in which it was made the culture um uh was still very much i think i you know the time it came out we still didn't really hit that uh you know hit that generation of like let's say when easy rider came out you know and there was like you know like there was more um uh, there were young people that were resisting um you know certain traditions and things like that and you know race was an issue and you know culture all the all these social issues you know so we were still in that very much status quo norm of that period so it makes sense uh, as you're talking about that right exactly um and it's funny too that you mentioned that that and the the toilet actually and I thought of that too when I was watching it last night, and I, and I wondered if that was the first time we'd seen a toilet on in a movie because I was kind of surprised to see that. Knowing obviously this is from 1960, I'm like, geez, you never see toilets. And then yeah. you said that that was the first time we'd ever seen one in a film, which is amazing. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and there's a joke too that um, that uh, you know uh, that even 
like, like even like in the Brady Bunch, which was you know not too long after this movie came out, uh, they never had a toilet in their bathroom because again it was just one of those right. it was just one of those things that for some reason there were just no toilets in uh, in, uh, in movies uh, for some reason and no and like very specific things just did not happen that we see today that's so common. Um, I think even in the there's a I think even in the 2012 movie Hitchcock where um, Anthony Hopkins plays Hitchcock that movie sort of chronicles how Psycho got made and a lot of these things that we're talking about were were covered you know such as um having a toilet on camera such as you know the fact that she's a married woman uh, I'm sorry the fact that she's not a married woman she's having sex you know like all that stuff was like right you know a huge battle he had to fight when making the movie and didn't they use for the blood going down the drain he used chocolate syrup just so it would show up better in the black and white yep mm-hmm yep it was uh chocolate syrup yeah and actually um the the reason he even shot in black and white is because he he just simply couldn't get the funding from from uh the studio to to make this movie because they were very resistant so this was funded independently and the crew were uh, the crew on the movie were all the folks that were working on his television show at the time so it was done with a very very shoestring budget from what i understand like you know because like he had shot color long before uh this movie but he had to just for right he had to for budgetary uh constraints but i think it works to his advantage absolutely he plays with the shadows uh, like a universal horror film yes you know, the classic monster movies he really it gives it that creepy tone especially the the bates house up in the back mm-hmm. which if, if correct me if i'm wrong but isn't that wasn't even a full house too it was it's a small uh construct I think I like think, it wasn't an actual functional house, right? I think I think you might be right. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, when I was out in uh, Los Angeles, I did actually get a chance to do the uh, the uh, the um, the Universal tour, and uh, oh, nice. I don't think the house was there at the time. I can't remember. Yeah, I don't think the house was actually present because I know it was as like a tour thing, but uh, and I and I know they shot on the Universal backlot, but I'm not entirely sure if it was. Uh, a constructed home that was, you know, built in the back lot, or was just simply, like you said, a um, a uh, small model. But um, yeah, that was like a big tour attraction at that time. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, it's um, I did hear something that it had been on the Universal back lot, but I didn't know if it was still there or not. Right. But I have a question. As a filmmaker, yes. I have a question for you. Um, what is it with Hitchcock when he does things where people are getting in and out of the cars, they get out through the passenger side, they slide across the bench seat and jump out the passenger door? What I've seen that in North by Northwest and Vertigo, maybe even in some other movies that were not Hitchcock, but do you have any idea why they would do such a thing? Mm. I never noticed that, so you just pointed that out. Now I'm thinking about it. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I guess that is yeah. a thing. <laughs> uh, oh. The only th- yeah see I, yeah see I'm not I'm not really sure I mean maybe maybe the cars back then had you know like full um, you know front seats without a gap in the middle I think cars back then had that I I don't really oh know. yeah I, so there yeah was... they did in fact I have a car like that do too. you really <laughs> yeah it's, um, I have a wagon and it's got the full bench seat on nice. the front you could slide in and out nice um, yeah I don't know why uh, why why that was uh, but now that you mention it I think back to some of these other movies yeah the, yeah they did that pretty often <laughs> I'm not sure why. Yeah, it occurs to me, like, over the years I thought about this, and I I just wonder if maybe it was just simpler. If you had them get out the driver's side, they'd then have to walk around the car to get to say if there's someone standing on the sidewalk, whereas they could just slide out, jump out, and then talk Mm. to that person right then and there. That's true, yeah. It could have been for a blocking reason. It could have been for, 
uh, for any odd reason. But uh, yeah, my guess would be like for like for blocking purposes, maybe. Yeah, strange. Right, right. <laughs> so now we've got a great list of character actors in this movie. We've got Martin Balsam as Detective Milton Arbogast. He's a private detective. And when I was a kid, I every time I saw him in a movie, I referred to him as the poor man's Ernest Borgnine because he kind of resembled him <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> But he was in a lot of great films, including Cape Fear, 12 Angry Men, and All the President's Men. And I think he just does a great job here as the detective. He, it, you know, nothing gets past him. He, even though if it's not blatant, he still kind of picks up on, like, especially Norman Bates's subtle, subtle mannerisms and tones. And just, he just knows something's not right. Even though Norman gave him satisfactory answers, he even says it to, um, Lila on the phone that he, I'm just just something not right here. Yep. Yeah. No, I do remember um, liking his character and how he played it. I don't. I really don't know much about um, about his career as an actor, but um, but I, yeah, I did see, I did see Twelve Angry Men. I remember him in that pretty well. But um, yeah, I always liked his performance uh, in this movie. Uh, the way he like he's very yeah he's very he's very subtle as well. That that's one of the great things about. Uh, Hitchcock uh, in general is like his ability to create to create subtle performances um, uh, from from his actors. Um, and uh, actually, you mentioned Cape Fear. I think he was also in the Scorsese version, uh, Marin Balsam. Uh, he was like the judge, I think, in the um, the the one from the nineties. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think I, you're right. Yeah, I yeah. think he was. That's funny. Yeah. And his death scene is is really well done. And it's one of those scenes, though, that if you take it out of context, if you were to just show somebody that scene, they'd go, oh, that's silly looking. Right. But when you're watching it in the context of the film, it works. Oh, and yeah. And it's, it's terrifying. Yeah. And, well, I think that's the thing. The first-time viewers, and, you know, this is one of the really strange things about uh, about about being in this generation is that because of the Internet and because of, how accessible the the filmmaking tools are and you know how much knowledge people have gained from the internet uh it sort of ruins right. the magic of how movies are made that to the point that someone could overanalyze a movie look at a shot like that and say oh it's so clear that he's on like a uh, um he's on like um you know like a built thing where he's just flailing his arms back and forth or whatever but it's like who cares <laughs> that's that's how it was right. done you know that's how that's how it was done but but yeah i find that people today they have a horrible tendency to overanalyze like oh well this wouldn't happen because of this reason or no that doesn't look good because it's like you know just you got to turn your brain off when you're watching certain movies i feel like right and also the way i look at that scene is he's flying through the air down the stairs he's not tumbling right. down the stairs he is literally in the air and the camera is just on him so it does make the background look odd because yeah. we're not used to seeing that yeah but i think that's how it would be if if he gets stabbed in the head and flew completely off the staircase that's what would happen that's what would happen yeah. it's just the positioning of the camera mm-hmm and it was funny because the scene leading up to that, I was watching, uh, and and the camera follows Norman, and he goes into the bedroom and has an argument with the mother, and then the camera goes up to the ceiling. I mean, was it that scene, or maybe it was no? It was the scene where Norman takes the mother downstairs yes. before yep. Arby Guest gets there? But I'm wondering, watching it, going, why is the camera going up to the ceiling? That's really interesting. Yeah. And then of course it gives us the top-down view of Norman taking the mother out of the room and carrying her so you you still can't tell that she's dead and she's right. talking along the way right so his use of uh, Hitchcock's use of camera work in this was brilliant I think oh yeah without a doubt I'm um, 
I remember one of the first shots that stood out to me when I when I was first when I first saw it. And I'm like, you know, I'm studying every frame of it. Was uh, so <laughs> the it's a shot where Jenna Lee's character had just been had just been killed. The camera's right. the The camera is directly on her eyes as she's uh, yes. you know, gone. Camera pulls out very slowly, very slowly, and keep in mind that you know that wasn't like a dummy or anything. Jenna Lee really had to keep her eyes open uh, for that long period right. of time. Camera pulls out, pulls out, pulls out, and goes to the envelope where the money is stashed. And, you know, it, that's Hitchcock's way of saying, don't forget this. You know, and it was just, it's so brilliant the way the the way the camera moves so fluidly to to that moment where it's like, oh, she died. Oh, my God, I can't believe it. And then, then you add to the suspense of, you know, of this, uh, of this envelope of this money. It's one of those things where... I think I think uh, and you know there's you know there's the Hitchcock scare where you have the bomb under the table where the characters don't know right. that something's going to happen, but the audience does. So and so exactly, I, and that was the bomb under the table was that envelope of money, and it was amazing. Yeah, yeah, it really was. Now rounding out the cast, we've got um, other character actors such as John McIntyre who played the sheriff, John Anderson played California Charlie, the used car salesman. Patricia Hitchcock, Alfred's daughter, played Caroline, who mm -hmm. was the other secretary in the real estate office. Yep. But my favorite in this film, and I, I'm watching it last night, and I'm seeing this guy, and I'm like, I know him. I know, And I know that I like him. Who is this guy? And it's uh, Dr. Re Fred Richmond was played by Simon Oakland. Now, he's a, a, a big-time character actor who was in The West Side Story and Bullet with Steve McQueen. But he's best known as Tony Vincenzo, Carl Kolchak's boss in Kolchak the Night Stalker. Oh. And it that dawned on me his face i could see him yelling at kolchak and i'm like that's how i know him <laughs> <laughs> and you know kolchak would always uh, almost give the poor guy an, an embolism because he would just not do what he wanted right yeah uh yeah no i didn't know that uh so that's that's really so that so that's really neat and um uh it, it actually wasn't until uh later too that i realized that the other secretary was indeed hitchcock's um uh daughter i think i think she had been in a few of his things i want to say like made like little appearances yes yeah, she she did she was actually had a, a bigger career than i thought she would have yes yeah she did yeah i mean well she was in you know she had a scene in strangers on a train you know stage fright you know just a bunch of movies yeah and um, now moving on, we've got um, the music was done by Bernard Herman, who's he's just got this impressive list of movie scores. We could do a whole show on him. Oh, sure. I mean, as well as Hitchcock. But um, the short list includes Vertigo, Citizen Kane, The Day the Earth Stood Still, one of my favorites, mm -hmm. and Taxi Driver. Yep. Which he, he was really doing stuff pretty much up until the end of his life. I think he lived until 76, somewhere around there. Yeah, Taxi Driver was actually his last movie, and uh, Scorsese really had to convince him to take this on because, you know, he kind of flatly said to Scorsese when he, uh, when he had pitched him uh, doing the music for it, uh, Bernard Herman goes, I don't do movies about, <laughs> Bernard Herman goes, I don't do movies about taxi drivers. <laughs> And then, which is like okay, it's a very strange uh, cutoff there. But uh, so he tells so he tells Bernard Herman no, no. He tells Bar Bernard Herman no, 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 no. He happens to be a taxi driver. So uh, read the script, he did it, and then you know the day he finished the score, died the next day. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, at least he got it done because that's a good movie as well. Yes. <laughs> so, but but yeah, but yeah, no. His music is iconic um matter of fact um 
uh, Hitchcock didn't want music during the shower scene. He was just going to have it just play out. But then his wife, who was very instrumental in his creative decisions, uh, said, said, no, absolutely not. No, you know, you know, you have to have music. And so he was very resistant. They put the music in and it just worked like a million bucks. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's that's again iconic. The whole yeah, you know the night 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 night. I'm obviously not doing it any justice, right? But, um, the, <laughs> maybe we'll throw an audio clip in here of that. But that is just when people hear that, they immediately recognize it. Oh yeah, Absolutely. even if they haven't seen the film. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's it's one of those, it's one of those scores that uh, even if you haven't seen the movie, you know exactly where it's from. It was funny last night. I was I was watching it with my wife, and she had never seen it before, which was which was shocking. Really? But then, um, yeah. So she didn't know anything about the film going into it. She didn't know that Norman Bates was the killer and all that. She sure. just had a vague idea. And I had the volume up loud because the dialogue was kind of low. And when the first the shower scene occurred and that music comes in, we practically fell off the couch because <laughs> it was so loud and shocking. <laughs> and but it was effective, you know. Yeah. And you had mentioned this this movie sort of being the granddaddy of the slasher film. Um, I I definitely think it it set a new bar in Hollywood for uh, violence and sexuality and maybe even deviant behavior that was previously not really shown in very many films, sure. if at all. Sure. Another thing too that I notice about this film as I'm watching it, it's it's done. His style is like. Uh, how do I describe it? It's a regular, it's like, take a regular drama, for example. Like, say, take 12 Angry Men and sure. the way the dialogue, the characters deliver their dialogue and everything. It's all done in that traditional sense, except not only with the creative camera angles, but he also adds in the violence and the sexuality and stuff. And it just, it, it, it's almost like he took the average drama and turned it on its ear. Oh, yeah. And made it something more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, like we've been talking about, this is a movie that uh, is doing things that had not been done, even uh, Hitchcock himself. I mean, you look at a movie like uh, like Vertigo, which I think was his, was the movie that came before this one, if I remember correctly, and uh, uh, that one also deals with uh, a lot of sexuality themes. I mean, they're very, you know, they're very subtle. Uh, this one... It's not. It's not even that. It's like in your face or on the nose. But I mean, it's more present, is what I'm trying to say. Um, and very right. few, then, and not many. I don't think any movies then really, really did that. Like this was like you know groundbreaking in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like oh, there's a scene in North by Northwest where he's got um, uh, Cary Grant, and of course I can't think of of the co-star, but him and the girl are on the train and they're in the bed compartment, and you know that they're about to hook up, and then 
you cut to a scene of the train going into a tunnel. Yes, <laughs> it yes. It's just symbolic. <laughs> you didn't have you, it. Just went with your imagination. You knew what was happening. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No. Well, and that's and well, you know, call that. Uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of that had to do with censorship at the time. But I mean, that. Right. But in a way, that was a blessing because he was able to creatively say the same thing without actually going there. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with going there. But I think that uh, it's certainly a lot more creative than, than going the obvious route. So for him as a director, I think, think the, one of the reasons he is a master is because, you know, he had to take the limitations uh, that were probably presented, presented to him with censorship and uh, just run with it. Uh, the best way he knew how, and um, and I think that's one of the reasons why you know his films are so celebrated. Yes, absolutely. So let's wrap this up here in closing. Do you think um, this movie holds up as one of the scariest movies of all time? It certainly made every list that I've looked at online. Yeah, I I would say it definitely holds up as some of the as one of the scariest movies of all time. Um, I mean, again, it wasn't a movie that necessarily scared me, but then again, I'm not really one to uh, cry at movies or really scream or get emotional in that way because I'm so analytical when I watch movies. But none, but nonetheless, <laughs> it do, it does it does enlist uh, it does inv- um uh, it does give a lot of uh, emotion and warrants a lot of emotion, particularly you know fear. Um, you know, and pe- people who see it for the first time, I'm sure, um, still feel that way. So yeah, I think it definitely holds up. And Chris, would you recommend this to a younger audience? Not not children, but I mean, you know, uh, late teens into 20s. I would, yes. I mean, I think if they're looking for something that's uh then that's something that's different than than their average film that they see today, I think absolutely. I especially think for young people who want to study filmmaking and who want to really get into this stuff, um I think it's important for any filmmaker to study the masters and to study those that came before them uh, rather than, you know, something that's contemporary because the things of the past sort of set the stage for what we have now. Like, uh, I think, I, you know, I think I've heard this time and time again, but I think had I been a Hitchcock, we wouldn't see a John Carpenter. We wouldn't see, you know, all these great horror movie directors doing these things because, you know, because they grew up on Alfred Hitchcock and they got inspired by him. Right, exactly. Exactly. Well, awesome. So, Chris, where can our listeners find you online? Uh, so I am on I have my website, which is uh, simply storiesmotion.com. And there it, I have uh, all my work, uh, short films I've been doing and uh, a lot of upcoming projects I'm working on. So there and I also have a Facebook page, which is uh, Stories in Motion, and, uh, Twitter, Instagram, all that all that good stuff. Um, so, yeah, I'm pretty much on most social media platforms where you can find all my work. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you once again for joining thank us you. this week to discuss, or this episode, I'm sorry, these are going to be daily, um, this episode of Psycho. I was glad to have you on here, and I uh, look forward to the next one. Yes, likewise. Well, we hope you enjoyed this special episode of Then Is Now called 13 Days of Hallowtober. If you want to chime in your two cents about the film that we discussed today, please email us at thenisnow42 at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to check out our website at havenpodcasts.com. And don't forget to check out our other show, The East Meets the West, in which we discuss spaghetti westerns and Shaw Brothers movies. Join us again on our next episode. 
is intended for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. Sounds, music, and clips played during this podcast are the property of their copyright holders. All original content is copyright Jupiter Media. Thank you.